Hey, you're tuned in to Listen Back, the podcast, Creative Conversations with Lettucey. Are we still good? Thank you, Greg Field, for being here on Listen Back with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. First question I wanted to ask is, what are you listening to right now? You know, um, you actually. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, As a matter of fact, and you're going to hear it later today, but I finished the uh, mixing on your upcoming PBS special, the audio. Yeah, and you know, it's just, there's something about live performance, you know, when it's captured. Uh, on a recording that it's just it goes to another level and uh so yeah um, well you always know how to capture that (laughs) yeah um and then you know you and i have a record coming out which is the uh the ella fitzgerald 100th birthday celebration oh that's right whoa that's so cool well you know i'm so excited about this um I, i think it's probably the best record i've ever worked on and i've made a lot of records but this was live at the apollo and you know, maybe your listeners don't know this, but Ella Fitzgerald, when she was 17, won the Apollo Amateur Contest and was discovered. And a year later, she had one of the biggest hits of her entire career. And then popular music was changed forever from that moment. And, you know, we, you're included. There's a lot of great artists on this record uh, celebrating. And I'm very excited. It's coming out on, on Friday. That's so great. Is Liz Wright, Patty Austin, and uh, David Allen Greer is hosting, right? Yeah, it's Patty, Patty, uh, Patty, and uh, David Allen Greer, Patty Austin, um, hosted it, co-hosted it, and it's uh, Cassandra Wilson, Liz Wright, you of course, Monica Mancini, my wife, um, Gay, and uh, she'll like that she got a mention, and um, a, an incredible acapella group from Howard University called Afro Blue and um, Andrew Day, and then we had um, Count Basie's orchestra and this great quartet of uh, Nathan East and Shelley Berg and Brian Nova. Ah, that's so cool. Nathan East, too, and Shelly. Yeah. I, I didn't know everybody played on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, and it's, it's you know, it's it's the first time I've, I've mixed a bunch of live TV shows, but I've never mixed a live album until this one, and it's a challenge because, you know, like Liz Wright did an incredible version of The Nearness of You, very intimate, and just before she started singing, some of the audience, you know, screamed. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, okay, well, there's three hours of work trying to pull that scream out, but we got it. Yeah, because how many mics is that? <laughs> oh, my God. No, listen, well, we had, you know, Count Basie's band is 18 musicians, so there was about 25 mics, and then uh, we had 30 strings. Uh, it was incredible, actually. Man, I can't wait to hear the whole project. And But you always, I mean, you've worked with Ella, am I correct? Yeah, I was uh, when I was a kid. Uh, it was incredible, actually. You know, um, were you producing her or playing the drums? No, I was just I was I was her drummer. Yeah, and uh, I was in her quartet. And yeah, I joined her when I was twenty nine. Actually, we did a concert the night before my thirtieth birthday at Lincoln Center, and we were we were heading home to L A. out at JFK, and I went into the Admirals Club, and Ella was standing there with a birthday cake, singing me singing happy birthday to me. I would have passed out. <laughs> and the pe- well, yeah, and the people in the in the lounge were saying, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> now, it was great working for her. I mean, I learned, you know, I caught the tail end when I was a kid of a lot of artists. Uh, you know, one of my first gigs was playing drums for Ray Charles when I was 21, and then um, 
I ended up with Count Basie for about three years. I did almost a thousand concerts with him, uh, and then went from there to Ella, and then from there to Sinatra. I took Frank Sinatra till the end. Um, but these were guys, you know, that they were they were gods for me musically, and to get to work with them and to absorb the knowledge that that they all had is really invaluable for me now in producing. Yeah, I was going to ask, has that made being around all those legends and studying from them, how's that made your producing skills even more enhanced? Like, what, what, what have you learned from, from it? Well, first of all, you're in an environment that is people that are performing at such a high level of artistry that... You know, it was a challenge. Every one of those gigs for me was I, I challenged. I had just enough ability as a drummer to keep those gigs, and I absorbed a lot. Um, but what it it gave me is a is a target to shoot for. So when I'm producing uh, like this Ella record, or um, you know, uh, I've got an album that just came out on Sony with a young British tenor named Jonathan Antoine. It came out a couple of weeks ago, and you know, it's I want all of the artists that I work with to be given an environment that Ella deserved and that or expected and that Frank Sinatra expected and that Ray Charles expected or whoever I'm working with. So it's up to me to provide a that musical environment at that level because then the artists, the singers like you can you can absolutely do your best work. And that if I if I can accomplish that then then I, I, I'm, I'm doing my job. So is that part of what makes a great producer is how to create an environment or is it how to get out of the way, basically? Oh, you know, that's a great question, Led. It's all of the above. Mm -hmm. It's different with every artist. Um, Certainly creating the environment, but, um, you know, uh, my mentor was a really famous record producer named Phil Ramone, and I can't tell you how many records I did with him as a drummer, and I would observe how he would... And you worked with him. You worked with him. Yeah, he was my uh, introduction to the jazz world. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks to you. Um, and w- <laughs> what he would do is he wouldn't do anything until he needed to. And he had that magic of knowing just what to say at just the right time to empower and give courage to an artist that might think, you know, I'm, I'm not happening or I can do this better. And he was a master at that. So it's a lot of psychology. It's... Um, uh, and then it's just, you know, it's just having a knowledge uh, of what's cap- what, what an artist is capable of. Mm-hmm. And, and then on the other side of it is once, once it's, you've got this recording done, once the artist is, has given all of their talent, then when we go back into the studio to mix, and then it's really important for a producer to have knowledge of, of how, to make a re- how to mix a record, how to edit a record. Uh, that took me years to learn. But I, I mix all my own records. I edit my own records. And, you know, it's the, the advantage I have is that, you know, we all have record budgets we have to deal with. And some are great, some are sm- small. But I own my own studio. So it's basically, it's just my time. Mm-hmm. And I have the luxury of being able to say, okay, look, I know we've run out, run out of money on this budget. But I know if I put in another couple of days on it, I can make it really great. And that's the only way I'll ever make a record. I'll just get it as great as I can get it. And I don't, you know, of course I care about the money, but the final product is, is what gives me the most satisfaction and where the artist says, Oh my God, I'm, I'm so happy and everything sounds great. You know, that's, that's, that's why I do it. Have you ever had a moment where you were about to produce an artist and you're really cool on the outside, but inside you're like 
freaking out. <laughs> You yeah, don't show it? Every time. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'll tell you the one that, that got me was about two years ago. Um, I produced the uh, the famous operatic tenor Placido Domingo. And uh, it was, I, I met him in the studio, mm. right? And, you know, it would if I could have had dinner with him the night before, it would have made things easier. But, uh, yeah, I was... I was trying to be cool, but I'm thinking, my God, I've got the greatest tenor in the world, and he he needs me to help him because he was recording a very different version of one of his biggest hits, Granada. But we did a instead of doing a typical operatic orchestral version of it, we did a a total flamenco version of it, like the greatest flamenco musicians from Madrid. So I was I was putting him into an environment that he's not used to, and the cool thing, he's a really nice man, and he was. He was letting me know what he needed. He actually asked me at one point to help him, to actually conduct him through a section. And I'm not a conductor, but I could kind of, I could get through it. And as I'm conducting him, I'm literally thinking to myself, what on earth have I gotten myself into? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Go, go, uh, go take it around the track. Really? I've never driven a Ferrari. <laughs> And you better drive it right. So yeah, that was a. Uh, but you know, it 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 all worked. It all worked out great. And um, and I've worked with them since then. And it's 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 been it's been a pleasure. But yeah, it's it's you know I'll tell you that after working for Frank Sinatra, which was really intense, I could work for anybody. Mm. I mean, it's like that was as difficult as that could be and challenging because he was he was intense. You know, after that, I thought I can handle I can handle anything. But uh, yeah, but, but Placido, that, that was a challenge for sure. How important is studying your craft for you? Because you're able to switch around to genres and work with different people in different genres and know how to have them adjust to whatever is required in the moment, like a lot of PBS specials. Or when you work with Stevie and then you marry him with classical singer. I mean, you go all over the place, like from jazz and to different genres of music. Has your preparation with studying been a huge part of that to make you a better navigator what's the word for a juggler because you look like yeah no I forget that's it for juggling it yeah um that's a that's another great question like how do you has that helped you because a lot of people don't study a lot they just study what they know and what they love but Mm. when you study a whole bunch of stuff you're able to marry them together you're good at that you know it's there's a commonality among every artist I've ever worked with and in any genre. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a commonality of communication through music to get a reaction, to create emotion, to create joy, no matter what genre I'm working in. You know, I did a, I did a bluegrass record, which I, I, you know, I've heard bluegrass. There, there was a, one artist that I really loved, but I didn't really know the genre. Mm-hmm. And then I had this guy named Mark O'Connor, who's you know he's a god in the bluegrass world. Asked me to produce his record, and I did my studying. You know, I, I got deep in um, to try to understand the the mechanics of what what they needed. But then you know I found myself in Madrid last year recording a, a flamenco record, and I love flamenco, but I didn't know the language of it to be able to talk to an artist. So I got I just jumped in. But what I find is whether it's you know you and I in the studio. Whether it's it's Placido Domingo singing opera, whether it's these guys, these incredible flamenco artists, there is a there is a line of commonality, and that's what I think I can bring. I'll figure out the mechanics of it, but I, I know when it's good when you get a reaction. 
So it's all based on the feeling and and just playing it, playing it out, talking music. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I did um, when I did that bluegrass record. Uh, we did it down in Nashville, then I mixed it at my place here in LA, and I did the first mix, and I sent it to the head of the label, which is this. It's this iconic bluegrass label called Rounder in Nashville, and I, I sent the mix in, and I said, "Listen, am, am I close?" And the guy said, "You know, everything sounds great except one thing." He said, "You're mixing the other singers like background singers." I said, "Well, aren't they background singers?" And he said, "No." He said. In bluegrass, he said, if somebody starts singing and then somebody else starts singing, it ain't a background. It's just another vocal. And he said, you got to think of a bunch of people sitting on a porch and somebody starts singing and then somebody else starts singing. You don't Mm -hmm. mix it. And I said, oh, man. And I I got it. I said, okay. And then everything was cool. But, um, you know, just, and and I I love it. it. This is, it's like, I did a tango record about eight years ago that I actually got a Grammy for. And I, I did have some love of and a little bit of understanding of of, of Argentinian music, uh, and especially tango. And so I went down there and, you know, just jumped in. But it, it's that same thing, that it's that commonality that, that talks to people. You know, sometimes, you know, we all will hear a record like Despacito, that massive hit. It's in Espanol, but people that don't speak Spanish love it mm-hmm. could it's communicating. You feel something. And, you know, if I can come away and make you feel something, I, I know I've done my job. Yeah. I think the drums have something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, I think we are at our root. We are ryth- we are rhythmic. H- human beings are at their core. It starts with rhythm. rhythm. And then it- mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, I said to a student of mine the other day, we were talking you know, about producing. I said, you know, it's, it's really simple. If, if a drummer starts a song on a record and the groove feels good, you'll start bumping your head up and down. If the vocal's a little out of tune, it doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. But if the vocal's completely in tune and the groove ain't happening, nothing works. <laughs> Nothing's going to work. <laughs> right? So it's got to, yeah, the rhythm thing's got to feel good. Well, you know that. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Have you learned from a mistake? And if so, what was that mistake, and what did you learn from it? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no, that's that's a, boy, that's a really good question. You should do this for a living. Um, no, I'll tell you something. When I make a mistake, when I was a kid, when I was like a late teenager in my early twenties, and I was starting to get these good gigs, and I'd screw up all over the place, and it used to freak me out. And then at some point, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm learning from all of these mistakes and everybody's going to make mistakes. So when I make a mistake now, I start laughing and I actually encourage my students. I say, you know what? When you make a mistake, you should send your mistake flowers and champagne. <laughs> you should, and you should, you should have a great laugh and you should then understand that that's how you grow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many times Ray Charles was, way up in my business from, from all the screw-ups I made playing drums for him. And, you know, at the time, it's traumatic, and you think, oh, my God. But when you get a little bit older, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. My first recording session was a guy named Wawa Watson, who was one of the greatest session guitars of all time, helped me when I first got to L.A., and he got me on my first session, and it was for Donald Byrd and the Blackbirds, and Greg Fillingaines was playing piano, and, all I had to play were four beats on the bass drum, eighth notes on the hi-hat, and two and four on a backbeat. You had one job. One job, that's Greg. It, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Don't play a fill. 
just do that. Just <laughs> And I had, I had never played with a click track. And so we get in the studio, and the first thing that Donald Byrd said to me is, Greg, your bass drum sounds like a Dixie cup. And I thought, oh, shoot. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. And then we start playing, and I can't play with the click. And it's like, wow, I was looking at me like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> anyway, I, I got fired off the session, and I was devastated. Wow. When I look back on it now, I, it makes me smile and laugh because Wawa called me the next day. He said, come down to the session. He had another session for another artist. He said, come down early. I want to work with you. And he taught me how to play with a click. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. And so, yeah, you know, for for you young people coming up and want to do this, you make a mistake, have a laugh, buy them flowers, keep going, <laughs> and, 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 and be thankful that you got that lesson. That's so cool, man. What a great story. Oh, my yeah. God. You know, and it was people that people that helped, right? You know, yeah, that uh, he, he extended himself to help you get better. You know, there's there's one other thing. You know, I was uh, before the call today, I was thinking about, you know, where we're all at right now as artists and, you know, the challenges we're, we're facing with, uh, you know, with live work being canceled and nobody be able to go into a studio together and all, all the things that, you know, as musicians and artists we're dealing with. And, and then, of course, the rest of the, the country. But, you know, there's a silver lining here. I bet there's a lot of silver linings. But one silver lining for artists I was thinking about is that, you know, we're all in an emotional place right now because we're, we're vulnerable to all the craziness that's going on and, and all the adjustments we're making. But there's an opportunity for artists to go deeper. And I'm feeling it in the music that I'm doing right now. And also, I think we have a more sensitive an appreciative audience because we're on a more sort of aware place because we have to be. And I think, you know, I just read this morning in the paper that Netflix subscriptions are going through the roof. So I think there's going to be more and more of a need for what we do as artists. And this is an opportunity for us to go deeper, to understand more of the human condition and, and, and provide joy and, and, you know, and refuge through, through our art. And, that's and that's what our job is as artists anyway so I, I see this as an opportunity for us i absolutely agree because everyone is turning to the arts right now for that comfort or that hug or that laugh or that escapism is, is yeah, what distraction they say. distraction yeah from what's going on the last question greg i had for you is a question that i ask all the creatives towards at the end of the conversation is what have you learned that you wish you knew a little bit soon? Oh, uh, that's, I'm telling you, Led, forget the singing. <laughs> you got to go into journalism. <laughs> I'm serious. That's really good question. Um, you know, I think it's part of what I was talking about before. Accept your mistakes and, and, and learn from them. Uh, I wish somebody had told me that when I was, when I was younger and coming through this because it's tough. I mean, we're in a business that so much of who we are, we give up to to other people's opinion of us. I remember I had a I had a really great teacher that talked about life, and he said, you know, he said you can't you can't define yourself by the way other people view you because he says it's a thirst you you can never quench. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, you know, you're right because you know you could have five people to come to Lettuce's concert, or 5,000, and then one 
you know, a bunch of people come backstage afterward and say, ah, oh, that was the greatest concert I've ever heard. One person says to you, you know, it didn't really work for me. And when you wake up the next morning, <laughs> you're going to think, God damn it, that one person, right? <laughs> and you don't know if that guy's dog died an hour before, <laughs> you know, or had a fight with his wife. So I've learned not to be vulnerable to that. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish somebody told me that when I was younger. So, you know, embrace your mistakes. Do not compare your journey to anybody else. You know, uh, I used to think, oh, shoot, by the time I'm 30, I should be doing this. And if I wasn't doing it, you know, I was a failure. Everybody's on their own path. Yeah. Everybody's got to follow it. And, you know, it's, it's, we're in the arts. It's up and down. And once you can realize that when it's down, it's coming back up. And when it's up, it always doesn't stay up. And when you can absorb that, you know, life gets much better. Man, that was so great. Thank you for being on the show. Really? Yeah. Great advice, great answers. I learned I learned even more today about you. I'm shocked. Wow. I need to do more interviews with my friends so I can learn more. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ed, you know, um, you and I started working together now. It's like 13 or 14 years ago. And to watch you have this incredible career and now really embracing your jazz side, uh, it's incredible. By the way, I'll give you a quick compliment. Patty Austin was over here yesterday, and she uh, had seen that HBO Apollo documentary, and she was sitting in the theater, and she got to the end, and she started hearing this singer sing this song, and she said, wow, it sounds like Lettucey. And she said, God, I wonder who wrote that song. <laughs> and I said, uh... Yeah, it was led. Anyway, so she was just blown away by your vocal performance. I love her. To have her like it is huge. <laughs> oh, no, she loves you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love Patty Austin. I love you both. And because I get to express myself is because you guys believed in me. So you guys were the first. My first show, everything was with you, <laughs> my jazz stuff. So thank you for that, Greg. And thanks Absolutely, for being on Greg. the show. and inspiring other people this is going to help a lot of folks so i appreciate i it. hope so it will it will good <laughs> yeah.